You guys know I'm always talking about tracking my money. You can't manage what you don't measure. And I use a paid app to do that because I'm kind of crazy. But when I talk to you guys, my readers and my listeners, you want a free solution. You want something that links to your personal accounts and tracks your net worth. You want something that has analysis tools and a personalized plan for you. And you want real wealth management advice. The free answer is personal capital. Personal capital is an awesome tool, and it is hard to believe that it's free. And the world agrees. Year after year, personal capital is recognized as a best-in-class budgeting and tracking tool. And that's why I feel good about being affiliated with them. So if you want to start getting your finances in order, and you want to do it for free, start with personal capital. Here's how. Go to the show notes, click on that link, and let them know that the best interest sent you, and start your free account today. That's personal capital, your all-in-one free personal finance tool. Welcome to the Best Interest Podcast, hosted by Jesse Kramer, where we discuss today's best ideas in personal finance and investing. The Best Interest is a personal podcast meant for entertainment purposes only. It should not be taken as financial advice and is not prescriptive of your financial situation. Here's your host, Jesse Kramer. Hey guys, welcome to episode 36 of the Best Interest Podcast. My name is Jesse Kramer. I'm very excited about today's guest. Among other cool things, she retired at age 30. Yes, 33-0. And now she's living such a cool lifestyle, and we will discuss that lifestyle in the episode. But real quick, before I introduce our guest, could you please pause the show and then in your podcast app, give a rating and review to the Best Interest Podcast? Why? Because the best interest, it's a growing small business, and I want to keep making this content for people just like you. A rating and a review, it lets all those fancy algorithms know that you care about this podcast. And I know I'm asking for your time, I'm asking for your effort, and I know that you don't owe me anything. So I really appreciate those of you who decide to sacrifice that time and effort to leave that rating and review. Thank you, guys. So with that... Let's go meet our guest. Our guest today is fired. That is financially independent and retired early. She also happens to be the author behind one of the most recognized personal finance blogs out there. It's called A Purple Life. She's joining us today to share some thoughts and experiences from her journey to early retirement, especially now that she's been actually retired for over a year. It's not often that someone can co-opt a color into a singular name, but she's done so pretty successfully. I'm delighted to welcome Purple of the aforementioned A Purple Life blog onto the podcast. Hey, Purple, how are you doing today? I'm wonderful. How are you? Doing great. And, And if you don't mind me asking, I know we talked about it briefly beforehand, but but where are you doing today? Because I know as part of your early retirement, you've been doing some traveling. Yes, indeed. I'm currently coming at you live from the Catskills in New York State. Excellent. Well, we've we've had a little trend of of New York Staters recently. Uh, tomorrow, uh, the FI couple is their mm. episodes coming out, and they're based in the Capital Region. Well, Purple, you know I love your backstory and I love your blog, 
And as a someone who's read your blog and has also listened to you on other podcasts, I know that you've been asked about your backstory before. So, so we don't have to go into too much detail if you feel like you're repeating yourself, but I would love to know, and the listeners would love to know a bit about who you are and kind of what your money story is. Sure. So I'm purple and I can't take credit of co-opting a color. Like you said, I took it from pink, basically. Um, great artist. Uh, <laughs> and I've written on my blog for the last almost seven years about my journey to and now through financial independence and early retirement. Um, money story, just for background, I'm a black woman who worked in marketing um, and I retired in October 2020 at the age of 30. Um, Money-wise, the way I did that was job hopping. So I did that and tripled my salary in nine years. And then I used domestic geo arbitrage by moving from Manhattan to Seattle to decrease my spending while increasing my standard of living. And that was about it. Okay. Super easy. <laughs> I tell you what, you've got the elevator pitch down pat, right? <laughs> you covered all the bases in about 75 seconds. I've had some guests take it to three minutes, others to five or seven. <laughs> and yes, one guest, great guest, took it to about 35 minutes. I had to Ooh, edit that one down. That's, that's impressive. A, that was a long elevator trip, we'll say. <laughs> and since our, our, you, you said you're a pink fan, mm-hmm. are you familiar with Pink's work with uh, City and Color? A, I'm a not little, actually. There, no. so City and Color is a pseudonym for Dallas Green. Just So it's, oh. a, it's his... It's his uh, it's just a one-man band, City and Color, mm-hmm. but Dallas and Pink are musician friends, and they've done some duets together, and I think they've released an album together. Highly recommend it. Right. Very I'm good. writing it down. Um, but apologies to the listeners. Let's get back. This is some... important stuff. <laughs> Don't apologize. I mean, hey, it is, you know. It's good music. <laughs> listeners, go check out City and Color <laughs> and his work with Pink. Um, but let's get back to job hopping, job hopping. So you tripled mm-hmm. your salary via job hopping. What yep. exactly does that look like? So as I mentioned, I was in marketing. I started my career specifically working in ad agencies, making $35,000 in New York City. Um, and there is a lot of volatility in ad agencies. We are at the whim of our clients, their budgets, the industry, the stock market, basically everything. So it's very, very common to get laid off of no fault of your own, sometimes not even because your account goes away, but a bigger account in your agency that you've never had any contact with. (laughs) And then they're laying off a quarter of the people in the entire company. So um, I've been laid off three or four times. Um, So obviously from that, I would need to have a job. I've also been had experience with some more toxic job situations that I needed to leave for my own sanity. And also at times I just got bored and want to do something new. So in each of those instances, it was time to find another job. And when I did that, luckily I'd listened to my mom and I had a little bit saved even as I was making 35K in New York and barely making rent, I still saved a little bit as much as I could. So I had a little wiggle room when I was looking for a new job. So I didn't have to take the first one that was offered. So I was very diligent with my research and I looked and figured out what the market rate was for the position I was going for. It was usually promotion. And if people told me that they could not hit that and I knew it was fair, I said, that's very kind of you to tell me. I'm no longer interested. So I'm going to part ways with you here. Good luck. 
So I made sure through doing that, having that nest egg, little emergency fund saved and being, well, very careful with my research and careful with who I continue the interview process with that I always got a pretty substantial raise at each of the jobs. So I usually hopped about $20,000 each job and I had six of them. Okay. So right there, emergency fund provided you with time and flexibility, mm -hmm. an amazing use for the emergency fund. And then in the negotiations, it sounds like you had a very much a firm but fair stance about knowing mm -hmm. your own value to the company and expecting them to meet you in the middle with a, with a fair offer. Yep. For those listeners who are maybe thinking about transitioning jobs, I mean, were those conversations uncomfortable? Or, or how did you approach looking at a hiring manager, someone who presumably you, you could think that you need them more than they need you? How do, mm -hmm. how do you look at that person and say, no, I reject your offer. You need to offer me more. Well, I think it was partially knowing that emergency fund was there if for some reason they didn't take that well. Um, and also there are a million jobs in marketing. So I know that's not true in every industry, but seriously, dime a dozen, it's not hard to find. So I wasn't worried if I found one person that doesn't want to pay me what I'm worth. Because I also knew if I just took that, then they wouldn't give me raises. The only way to really make more money in marketing, sadly, is to leave. Um, yeah, it's kind of a ridiculous fact of the industry. So they knew the truth. I knew the truth. <laughs> and if they really didn't have the budget, they would usually tell me and be very candid about it. Like they wouldn't give me the budget or I told them that was market rate or anything like that. Like we had a little rapport. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, it was never awkward and I felt fine about it. It was also actually before New York State passed a law that you can't ask anyone their previous salary. So it was back in the day when they were like, what's your previous salary? And I literally never answered that question. I refused to answer the question when it was still legal. So that helped as well. That is that is good advice. I mean, it sounds, well, it sounds like uh, knowledge of supply and demand within your own industry, within the, mm -hmm. the hiring needs of your industry is very important. And, uh, and one thing I like that you kind of pointed out there, Purple, that, that I've learned sometimes the hard way is that uh, the, the hiring manager on the other side, I mean, they are an experienced professional and mm -hmm. they can handle you pushing back against them. It's not going to hurt mm -hmm. their feelings. It's all professional. They're just looking for a good candidate. And especially if it's with a bigger corporate company, it might be different mm -hmm. if it's like a really small mom and pop shop, but the difference between a $80,000 salary and a $100,000 salary and $120,000, it's not that big of a difference to them. Yep. It's a big difference to you, and that's why mm -hmm. you should ask for it. But to some hiring manager, it's not a big difference at all. They'll let you know if you've exceeded what they're allowed to hire you at. But mm -hmm. until you get to that point, they are willing to pay you more than their initial offer because they want to secure good talent. Mm-hmm. Completely true. And that was hammered home more because in most of my jobs, I was in charge of the finances. So I knew what we were billing clients. I knew that at some parts I was like 500 an hour and I was not making anywhere near 500. Hours. Like even taking away, you know, overhead and everything else that they have to pay. No, right. <laughs> it's not a big deal. So that you said six jobs in roughly uh, eight or nine years. Mm -hmm. It's you to age 30 where you retired on, on roughly speaking, $500,000. Mm -hmm. 
how let me, my my guess here, and I, I do know a little bit behind the scenes, is that that wasn't five hundred thousand uh, five hundred thousand stuffed under your mattress. That there was some sort of investing involved along the way. So could you walk us through? Uh, maybe what accounts you used along the way and, and what investment uh, allocations you had, what your investing process was? Sure, happy to. And a little more background. My original goal was to have $500,000 when I retired. However, um, I actually ended up having more than that because of the stock market and the index funds that I am about to mention. So in, I ended up retiring with $500,000 invested and in addition, $40,000 in cash. And I did that specifically because I was <laughs> pulling the plug in the middle of a pandemic and possible recession. So I wanted to have those two years that of two years of my spending cash cushion. That's usually how long a, a recession lasts, a market recession rather. So I wanted to have that in my back pocket. Um, and that's what ended up happening. And yes, you are right. All of that was invested. The 500 was in um, Vanguard Total Stock Market Index Fund, VTSAX, all of it. I have 100% stock allocation. I can talk about why. Um, that is basically half in tax advantage accounts and half in taxable accounts. The tax advantage accounts include my 401k from work, which I rolled into a trad IRA and also a Roth IRA. And I think I covered everything. Okay. So trad IRA, traditional IRA, Roth mm -hmm. IRA, different, different tax schemes there, but still yeah. you, you can't access that money until 59 and a half without some sort of penalty, which is why I can access yeah. my Roth contributions at any point, but the rest you're right. Right. Good point. So the initial, the initial principle into your Roth, you could pull out, but mm -hmm. not the gains in your Roth and then nothing, mm -hmm. nothing from the traditional IRA. Correct. But then the other half of that 500 K is in the taxable brokerage. And so that's something that you can access at any time, mm -hmm. but, but what penalty or, or tax, if you will, do you pay on that? None. <laughs> because I spend so little that I'm beneath any tax bracket. So very nice. So very nice. So that's actually, that's a, if, if you want to call it a loophole, that's something that I had a recent it's just Twitter the legal tax code. <laughs> correct. Correct. It is the legal tax code. And just like, uh, the Warren Buffetts and the Bill Gates of the world, no matter what you think about them, just like they, how they pay a very, very, very small amount of money on their income and wealth, uh, just like Peter Thiel, we recently learned, uh, has something like $5 billion in his Roth IRA tax-free because he is able to buy PayPal at fractions of a penny per share. It might feel weird, but it's all within the tax code. Mm -hmm. And so if they can do it, then Purple can do it. And so can you listeners. The tax code is there for you to either use your advantage or not. So let's, let's walk through that real quick, Purple. So, mm -hmm. so how does that work? So is that, does that mean that you are under the $12,000 uh, um, standard deduction? Or is there some other part of the tax code that's allowing you to pull that taxable brokerage money out tax-free? So it's basically that most of the, well, all of the money I would be pulling out is either dividends or capital gains. And capital gains are taxed confusingly different than actual income. And I believe for a single person, I can pull out like 40K or something before I have to pay another dollar of tax. And just heads up in case I, I'm getting 
imaginary pushback on the tax thing. These are all dollars I've already paid taxes on that are on my taxable account. So I just don't want to be taxed twice if I don't have to be. Um, So yeah, so because of that, it's not classified as income specifically. And that's how I'm doing it. Right, right. And that's, I, I had to learn this, I think it was just last week, that if your combined income, which could be like regular W-2 income plus capital gains is less than 40K, then up until you hit that 40K point, the capital gains aren't taxed. So like, you know, even if you took a side job right now, Purple, and that side Mm -hmm. job was paying you 20K, you could then pull out an additional 20K of capital gains, which would bring you to that 40K threshold, and you wouldn't pay any taxes on those capital gains, which is pretty nice for someone uh, who's planning a, a fire retirement, especially something that might be more of a lean fire. And uh, that might be the perfect segue, Purple. Let's talk about your fire lifestyle. Different mm-hmm. strokes for different folks. Some people spend more, some people spend less. What does a typical spending year or spending month look like for you? So when I was living in Seattle, we lived downtown, like I could see the space needle from my window, all that jazz. Um, I spent, and this is just for myself, $18,000 on average per year. And I have all the caveats already listed out. This is only possible because I have no house, no car, no kids, no pets. <laughs> and I've been told I'm frugal, but I don't really understand that because I buy literally everything I want. So I don't really understand. Um, yeah. So that's what I spent in Seattle for the five or so years that we were there, I believe. And then last year, of course, with the pandemic, not going anywhere, seeing anyone or doing anything was quite cheap. So I think I spent like 15,000 or something, something ridiculously low. Um, Yeah, but my goal for retirement, I actually, I included a buffer on top of my regular Seattle spending, 11% just for wiggle room. Um, So my goal in the first couple of years is $20,000 a year. However, um, my actual calculations I use for my retirement number have no spending ceiling. So I'm assuming not just that I will increase my spending with inflation, but that I will increase it throughout my life, whether whether it's necessity, which probably will happen because I'll be getting older, I'll want more comforts, I'll have higher medical bills, et cetera, or if I just want to, if I change my mind about buying a house or anything like that. So it's all about variable spending for me. Excellent. And so for the listeners who might be questioning 15000 or $18,000 a year in spending, no house, no car, no kids, no pets, goes a very mm-hmm. long way into, <laughs> into that, that differential in spending between what they might be spending or what, what you spend. I know I can think about my own budget. And if I take away house, car, and pets, all of which I have, I don't have any kids yet, but that brings me down significantly closer to 18000 per year. Mm-hmm. But just out of curiosity, when you look over, say, the personal finance landscape, maybe you read other blogs, or you just see in your own life what people are spending money on, do you find that other people are spending money on some significantly expensive items that you tend to forego? Or do you really attribute most of maybe the difference between the average spender and you to those four categories that, that you mentioned before? Just those four categories. Because I don't think we've even mentioned really yet, but I'm a nomad. So we move every month. So I would say I probably buy travel related items more than other people. I eat out a whole bunch. Um, We visit every brewery that we can find. Um, 
yeah, I can't really think of anything else. I love international travel. However, I travel hack it so I can fly first class for cheap. Um, nice. But I think it's really attributed those things. Besides that, I buy anything I want. So the, the nomad lifestyle, is that all like Airbnb kind of long-term rentals? Yes, indeed. Excellent. Exactly that. Excellent. And then you just use the, the pronoun we in there. So just to be, mm-hmm. just to be transparent, does that mean, are you splitting some costs with, with a partner? I am. So I have a partner. We um, have completely separate finances and part of our calculations when we, we have separate five goals, we have separate money um, calculations we did was to make sure that we could still maintain this retirement um, if or when we break up. <laughs> so currently, yes, we do. However, um, if we did that, we would just tweak our lifestyle a little bit, but still maintain our standard of living and still be able to do this. Right. Well, very pragmatic. I think that's a very pragmatic approach. I certainly appreciate that. I mean, one thing I'd love to pick your brain on now that you've been, uh, you've been FI for is it coming up on 12 months? When, when exactly? Coming did... up on a year, October 1st. Right. October mm-hmm. 1st. So cool. Well, let's, I'd love to talk about the things that you've learned in your, in your first year, whether it's money related or whether it's more of just personality related or, you know, the things that you didn't realize about retirement, but didn't realize about yourself getting these 40 hours a week back. I'd, I'd love to know some of the biggest lessons you've learned. Oh my. You ask hard questions. Let me think about this. (laughs) So a couple of things I had goals going into retirement um, that I was hoping to fulfill. And a couple of them were to explore things that I'm curious about. Uh, One was to be more present. One was to be more in nature. Um, And post pandemic, it was to travel more. So all of those goals, I did assess this, I believe in a post a while ago, but all of those goals have blown my expectations out of the water. Like I went to Montessori school, but since then I went to a pretty hardcore high school, very competitive college. And then obviously my, um, my job was quite cutthroat. So my curiosity was kind of like slapped out of me. Um, which made me really sad. I couldn't really look past like, what was the next thing I had to do? What's the next thing I got a next deadline, next client meeting to even wonder about what birds I'm hearing outside the window. We were talking about birds before the show started, but I used to literally be so mad if I was awakened by chirping because I have a few hours to get to sleep before work or something. And now I wake up, I'm like, oh, is that a Carolina Wren? What are you doing here? It's a little too far North for you. And my partner is like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> but in a good way. And for one time I got up to get a drink of water at like 4 a.m. or something. And I came back and I set the water down and I grabbed my phone and I left. And he was like, what are you doing? And I was like, I just heard a bird call. I don't recognize. I'm going to go investigate that. He's like, what's 4 a.m.? What's wrong with you? I'm like, I'm excited. So before that's not anything I would care about or think to do, but I'm so more curious about the world. I've been learning all types of birds. I've been learning about all types of animals that we see in our travels, different plants. Um, I've been reading or attempting to read. I'm a little behind, but I think I'll still make it one nonfiction book a week. Um, So I'm going for 52 and 52. And they've been about all these subjects. So I'm learning more than ever, reading more than ever. 
Um, the other goal was being present, which I've been so much better at because uh, mental work, guys, it's, it's, I can't do it. Basically, I was always thinking about the client's next issue or the email or what might be happening, even when I was on a beach in Vietnam, thousands of miles away. It was vacation. It was not my problem, but I could not stop. I couldn't stop on weekends. I couldn't stop on evenings. So maybe that's a personal failing, but no matter what I tried, meditation, exercise, like <laughs> I did, went down all the suggestions. I couldn't do it. I couldn't maintain a healthy balance. Um, it's also possible that a marketing career just doesn't really lend itself to that because it is 24 seven, the client service aspect anyway. Mm -hmm. So when I retired, I intentionally put my phone on do not disturb basically all the time. I found a little uh, setting where I can have texts from my mom and partner come through and that is it. So people are like, you never texted me back. It's been a week. I'm like, I, I'm getting to you now, aren't I? Like, what's the problem? <laughs> I was out there with birds or I was out there exploring a new brewery or walking across town. I don't have time for your pings. Anyway, they forgive me. But the point is, I am so much more present when I actually go to these breweries with a friend. I am there. I'm listening. I'm not actually in my head thinking of the next thing. So that's great. And I think I also mentioned one with nature. Obviously, that's happening for the reasons I mentioned. And the travel aspect, fingers crossed it will come. <laughs> but right now, we're doing more of a slow, obviously, US-only approach. Gotcha. So you're looking to get out into the world, explore new corners of oh, the world. Yeah. yeah, I had about six months of international travel booked starting um, when I retired. That obviously, I had to cancel. So it was mm -hmm. kind of heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. Is 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 part of the travel plan intrinsically tied into fire as in, in, in some sort of geo arbitrage? No, um, it's just something we're trying out. Um, gotcha. And we completely acknowledge that. I actually thought I would be like, okay, I'm done after a year, but I'm finding that I am loving it way more than I expected. But it's also possible that one of us will be like, okay, I'm ready to settle down in a year or three, five, 10. Um, so yeah, it's not an intrinsic part of the plan. It's just something we wanted to do. And I actually expected it to be way more expensive than it is. I'm actually coming under budget right now without trying. So we'll see what happens with that. That is awesome. Now, I really loved, you know, exploring what's curious and kind of, uh, maybe this is me putting words in your mouth, but almost going back to that, that childlike curiosity. You mentioned no, the, right. Montessori, the Montessori mm -hmm. school and just a, a personal anecdote. Whenever I go home to my parents' house, they live way out in the country. They have 20 acres. It's mostly woods. Most trips, something will, will trip this little nostalgic thought in my head of, of something I did as a kid, of some thought process I had as a kid. And I'll realize, man, I haven't had a thought like that in a while. Mm -hmm. Like there, there's some way of thinking that I had as a child that, like you said, between maybe high school and then fairly competitive college and now six years as an engineer. I, I don't think that way anymore. And I do miss it. Mm -hmm. I miss it. You'll get back there. Maybe you could find the balance. <laughs> I have hopefully, <laughs> no, hopefully sooner than later, hopefully sooner than later, <laughs> just out of curiosity, purple, uh, top, top book recommendations, any, any particular books in the last year really stick out out of the ones you've read. So I'm not sure I can give this recommendation yet. Cause I have like two chapters left, but I am loving psychology of money mm. by Morgan Housel loving that book. Um, 
it had some analogies. Like, obviously, I read a lot of finance books. I feel like I've read them all, even though I'm sure that's not true. But this one was the first one in mm, maybe since I started my FI journey that I was like, this is new. This is a different way of thinking about money that I've never heard of before. So that was that is sensational so far. Highly recommend. Um, another one would be Laziness Does Not Exist by Devin Price. That was fantastic. Um, the title basically says it all. I say on my blog that I'm a huge proponent of laziness because of our productivity ridiculousness culture. And I think it's harmful in its own way. So this book goes into the history of laziness, like how it came about as a value system that you value yourself based on your output to society and like all this stuff. And it's kind of messed up, kind of dark um, in the history portion of that. But that just lends weight to how ridiculous this idea is. And it's kind of made to control people. So, you know, not great. And then it also goes into, it's awesome that you have passions and that you do all this, but it's okay to rest. Like these are the signs your body needs to rest. Burnout is real. It doesn't just happen to other people. Like it can lead to serious health issues, all this stuff. So basically everyone needs to take a nap and I love naps and that's that. Well, thank you for that recommendation here, here on naps. I'm going to go look that book up, see if I can get a used copy. Yeah, I it's haven't mentioned my library, at least. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. Do you, uh, do you get most of your books from the library or from some sort I of? I do. Excellent. I was mm -hmm. recently recommended, um, I think it's called Libby, Libby app. Yes, love Libby. Mm -hmm. I haven't used it yet, but I, I, maybe I'll give it a try on Laziness Does Not Exist. Um, mm -hmm. I get most of my books from a, a store called Better World Books, and they... um. Their, their, their business model is used books, mostly used books, fairly cheap, three mm -hmm. to seven dollars per book delivered for free. So I love it. Right. I can get five books for 25 bucks delivered to my house. Uh, I get to keep the hard copy, which I like being able to take mm -hmm. notes and such. But uh, I'll give Libby a try. Laziness does not exist. And yeah, uh, Purple, I feel that with, with the best interest, whether it's the blog or the podcast. Where there are times when I feel mostly uh, in internally generated pressure to mm -hmm. produce, yep. whether it's you know I, I got I know I got to edit a podcast or I know I got to write that article I'm trying to write an article every week, and more recently I've been reminding myself that you know what uh, I'm kind of only answering to myself here, and mm -hmm. uh, if I'm working so hard on it that I no longer enjoy it, it kind of defeats yep. the whole purpose. You solved it. You can write the book now. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Maybe I'll start with a blog post on that. <laughs> um, well, let's, uh, in the last year, just, just to touch on this point one more time, uh, now learned about the very cool things that you've been doing with your time and how much you've enjoyed them and they've exceeded your expectations. From a budgetary point of view, is there mm -hmm. anything that has surprised you or is there anything that you you miss or anything that you've had to cut or anything that you've added in that that you weren't expecting to mm. so when i started analyzing my budget when i actually figured out what i was spending which i didn't know before i started my fight journey um i decided to try cutting things out with the knowledge that if i did miss them i would put them back in like i don't think that's personally a sustainable model to take anything out that brings you joy. So mm -hmm. I refuse to do that personally. Um, so I tried like decreasing restaurants and having more parties at my house. And I found that I 
really much more loved the parties at my house. Um, so I had more of those, but I still went out to restaurants and I found that um, the like, I went into a weird side spiral in New York for a hot second when I was like unhappy and I didn't know what to do. And everyone at work was like, oh, well, you need to buy these expensive heels and this purse. And I was like, what? I've never expressed that I like those things. And I'm like, this will make you feel better. And I was like, okay, I guess I'll try it. So I tried it and I was like, this is garbage. <laughs> so I cut that out and never looked back. Um, I, and the only thing I've added that I didn't expect, it, well, I shouldn't say didn't expect because I've, it's been on my to-do list for like four years. I just got a password manager that I pay for. <laughs> nice. So uh, mm -hmm. on your computer, too many passwords, yeah. too much. Oh, not uh, even that, that my human brain can't remember secure enough passwords. Right. Um, and obviously I should protect my stuff, which I knew. And I was like, I'll get to that later. And then I felt so embarrassed because it was the easiest thing to sign up for. And it's super cheap. So whoops. <laughs> it's another good recommendation I might take you up on. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I've got a lot of passwords. We recently had to redo some passwords at work. And the, uh, the rules, the standards for the passwords mm -hmm. are unbelievably complex. Yep. Uh, uppercase and lowercase, numbers and symbols. You have to have at mm -hmm. least two of each of those. Yep. Uh, you can't have two. You can't have more than two in a row of the same type. Mm -hmm. And you also can't have dictionary words in there. So, you know, the word cat all lowercase that was part of my password not allowed because that's three lowercase three lowercase letters in a row so i don't know how uh human beings of flesh and blood are supposed to remember these passwords that are They're filled not. with <laughs> asterisks <laughs> and random uh, you can you can spongebob your password though do every mm. other uppercase lowercase okay it's, okay it's that wild. sounds secure yeah, um, no. <laughs> so i'm literally not a shill for this company but ipassword does have business accounts i'm just saying <laughs> Wait, I'm sorry. Say that one more time. One password is the password manager uh, I use. Okay. The one number password. one. Password. Gotcha. One password. One password. And we'll tell them that Purple sent us. Mm -hmm. They don't know and me. I was going <laughs> to say, we will get zero dollars off, but hey, they'll appreciate it. They're like, it. who? <laughs> yeah. I'll tag you on Twitter. And then their, their social media they'll, person will retweet. They'll say who. You'll <laughs> <laughs> get the internet points. Well, last question. And, and it, it might be a sure it's a question that you have a good answer for if we were to have sure. say a a bad market a crash an 0708 mm -hmm. style multi-year down 40 percent environment mm -hmm. how does that affect your portfolio your plans would you make any adjustments in the short term or would you would you stay the course in in everything that you're currently doing mm -hmm. so here's the wild thing i mentioned that i retired with like 540. Mm -hmm. uh, last I checked, which I think was on Friday, I have 730 right now. So the market would have to drop, what is that, 26% just to get me back to where I was and thought I would be right now. So that's cool. But if it continued to drop the whole 40, yes, of course, I'd make adjustments. Um, the main thing I think is that I would just pick more lower cost of living places to live intentionally instead of accidentally, which is what we're doing right now. Like we didn't have anywhere we needed to be for the month of August. So I literally went to airbnb.com and I typed in Northeastern USA 
And that's how we found this place in the Catskills. It's $1,200 a month. It's gorgeous. It's downtown. It's walkable to everything. I have never been to the Catskills before. I love it. And we're talking about coming back next year. So I would intentionally pick places like that. Um, and if hopefully this is a pandemic-free hypothesis, I would also go global. That's something that obviously we're missing doing. Mexico is right there. Lower cost of living, wonderful standard of living. I've been dreaming and looking at places in Merida, which have pools and all this other stuff for the 1200 we're paying here. <laughs> so I would probably pick more international travel and lower cost places in the US, but that's about it. Like my main, I think it's 50 or 60% of my budget is housing. So I'd tweak that and then just live my life. Yeah, excellent. I mean, that is, that's the same advice that most financial planners would give to a retiree of traditional age. If mm -hmm. the market goes down, if you're concerned about the longevity of your portfolio, the easiest dial to turn is your spending in the short term. So, mm -hmm. so maybe, you know, if you're a normal, say a, a normal age retiree, maybe you postpone that $10,000 Euro trip, yep. postpone withdrawing that money from your accounts until the market has recovered. That way you're not having to, uh, uh, withdraw extra shares in order to fund your lifestyle. Simple, yep. simple arithmetic. At this point, we could probably go into the rapid fire questions. Sure. Unless there's anything, anything on your mind that, uh, that you did want to go back or, or talk about anything like that. I feel like I had something with the, oh, taxes. I had mm. one recommendation since we're just giving out recommendations. I mess with the calculator at turbotax.intuit.com. They have a tax tool that's really easy to use. Um, so I would recommend that if you guys are confused as I am and was and usually still am about how capital gains are taxed differently and how that is affected if you do have income coming in in addition and dividends and qualified dividends and all that hot stuff. Um, they have a really easy to use things so you can figure it out. Gotcha. So do you use that tool? Is it is it specific to that scenario you just laid out of the dividends and cap gains? Or is it more holistic and you kind of use it for your entire retirement? It's plan? completely holistic. I use it um, just to estimate things. I actually don't use TurboTax for my actual taxes because I think they're kind of scam artists. But um, <laughs> I use Tax Act just because when I use TurboTax, Previously, I'd get through the whole thing. They'd tell me it was free. And then they're like, JK, it's $50. And I was like, that yep. is a scam, sir. Um, <laughs> so yeah, Tax Act is where I'm at currently. Actually, I take that back. I started using um, Credit Karma came out with a tax solution. Um, but then I think they were bought by Tax Act. So it's very confusing. But mm. I'm currently with Credit Karma and just use the TurboTax tool to estimate my stuff. Gotcha. Yeah. And I can second, I've never used TurboTax, but I have close friends and, and my partner, she's used TurboTax and same exact scenario. Like mm -hmm. you get 98% of the way through, you've just spent an hour filling in all your information and everything has said free, 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 free. Mm -hmm. And then some point in the end, they say, oh, we just ran this calculation and you don't actually qualify for the free portion. Here's your bill. Seems illegal, but okay. It sure <laughs> does. Sure does. And, and, you know, TurboTax, they are, um, you know, they've got so much brand recognition, right? And they must mm -hmm. get so many people must fall for that trap. Uh, yeah. I agree. It'd be nice if there was a, uh, a watch watchman out there to uh, help us with that one. One day. 
Maybe. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> what are you doing in your retirement, Purple? You want to go hound? Uh, I have too many tests? naps to take. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm busy <laughs> with my birds. So the first of the famous rapid fire questions, what was the last material object or personal luxury that you spent $100 or more on? Has to be an object? Hmm. Or it could be anything, anything nice, a personal luxury. Okay, then it's always just travel. <laughs> Easy peasy. Usually the taxes on an international first class flight that uh, originally cost $20,000 and I spent 200 in taxes on. Wow. Wow. So how, how does that happen from 20,000 from 20, to only taxes? Well, I use um, airline miles for the actual cost of the flight. And then they do have just, uh, I think it's like airport I don't even know what it's called, parking taxes or something, or local government tax or something like that. So there's usually some type of taxes I have to pay on top of the actual cost. Um, but yeah, it's way cheaper, obviously, and I'm not spending my entire annual budget on one flight. Right. So, Out of curiosity, are those miles that you had built up from when you were working? They are currently, because like I mentioned, we had to cancel all of our travel. Mm -hmm. So I now have a giant nest egg that I need to use because airlines are jacking up the needed miles to go places. I understand they're in distress. I get it. Um, but it's kind of a race to get rid of them. However, my mom has been retired for almost six years. She retired at 55 and she's had no problem continuing to rack up miles in retirement. So I'm going to ask her what's up with that after we finish <laughs> getting rid of mine. Nice. Nice. I see. I see. Um, the next question, what's one good habit you're trying to form or a bad habit that you're trying to break? So it's related to being present. And I mentioned the do not disturb thing, but the other specific that I went into retirement wanting to do was to seriously cut down my time on social media because it's a wonderful tool. It's how I met all of my finance friends who are now my real life friends. Absolutely wonderful. It's where I got a lot of my recommendations in life. Um, but it's a time suck for sure. Um, and I, you know, look up from scrolling and be like, how did an hour pass? So I <laughs> put some rules in place for myself and basically I don't scroll anymore. Um, I intentionally like maybe once a day, maybe twice a day, take my phone off, do not disturb. And then my notifications from social media pop up. I can go to the notifications and respond to them, but I don't just go mindlessly through any of the apps. And that has saved me an immense amount of time. Also stress because in 2020, doom scrolling was like an entire activity. So now I figure out, you know, what's really important and I get that news, but I don't need to know every horrible thing that's ever happened to anyone ever in life. So that's just stress and something I can't control. Mm -hmm. Well, I do try to remind myself that with 99% of social media, maybe more, you are the product, meaning me, you, and the <laughs> listeners. We mm -hmm. are the product. And uh, yeah, I think it's an excellent practice to try to uh, make yourself as small of a product as you can because yeah. you're, you're selling yourself oftentimes without your knowledge. And uh, mm -hmm. I don't think that's good for your long-term, whether it want to be mental health or just time. Like you said, it's a time suck. Mm -hmm. uh, next question, Purple. What's your favorite financial tool or app or service that you use and why do you like it? 
Well, we already talked about my latest obsession, which is the password manager. (laughs) (laughs) One password. Um, If I have to come up with another one, mm, it's probably YNAB. You need a budget. I've been using it for about six years. And technically, anyone could make it as a spreadsheet. Like, it started as a spreadsheet before it was an app. Um, However... I just love them so much. And I'm basically like, shut up and take my money. They have so many great free tools for everyone to help them with budgeting, to help them reframe how they think of budgeting. Um, Because I previously had used mint.com. And basically, if I went over a dollar, it would go bright red and it would be like, you went over. And I was like, great, then forget it. I'm just going to spend all the money because it's (laughs) over. Instead, YNAB is like, so you went $1 over. Do you want to take that from like, your hair fun because you're not dying your hair purple this month and I'm like sure great and they're like great you did a great job I'm like yay <laughs> there's no such thing as budget failure so they're wonderful and actually now they're better than a spreadsheet in that they have linked accounts if you want so they'll just import everything from your accounts so you don't have to write it in yourself um, but yeah I'm a YNAB fan I'm beginning all my friends on it Excellent. I too use YNAB, despite the fact that this podcast is sponsored by Personal Capital. Uh-oh. Reason, reason being, <laughs> reason being, YNAB. Uh, I'm not big enough for YNAB to sponsor me yet. And mm-hmm. uh, having used Personal Capital, I think it's a good tool, and I think it can yeah, do a I lot of good for right. It can do a lot of good for plenty of people. But mm-hmm. if I had one budgeting tracking net worth tool to use, it would be YNAB, and I've been a proud YNAB user as it was intended for mm-hmm. uh, three years now and, nice. or maybe even, no, yeah, three years. And before that, probably for three or four years as it was not intended. Meaning Uh-oh. I what was, does a, that mean? it means I was not following the, the YNAB prime directives and what I would, I would cheat and I, I would, I would track like, you know, 90% of my expenditures. Mm-hmm. I'd be like, I think I'm okay on the rest. Or, you know, I'd, I'd spend, I know it was bad. I'd spend, you know, 200 bucks on new hiking boots Mm -hmm. that were not in my budget. And I'd just be like, well, I just, I just won't budget those. I (laughs) I won't track those. Found a way around the system. It was pretty bad. Yeah. And then in November, 2018, I sat down and said, you know what, I'm going to do it the right way and just start Mm -hmm. tracking everything and, and really knowing where my money was going. And that was a great choice. It is a great I've tool. Never heard of anything like that. I'm glad you <laughs> came around. <laughs> My YNAB sinner. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> and last one, purple, probably the most challenging one. So no, no worries if you need a second. Um, the last question is, what message would you put on a billboard if I gave you a billboard to share with the world? What would you say? So I'm stealing this from my favorite horror YouTube channel, Dead Meat. He ends every single video with it, and he's done like 300 videos or something ridiculous so far. Um, And I feel it so hard. It's be good people. That is an excellent way to end. Be good people. Purple, if folks listening want to read your story, read your blog, if they want to send you a quick hello note, how can they find you? You can find me over at a purplelife.com. I've got all my social media there, email address, all the good stuff. Excellent. Thank you, Purple. I will make sure to put that in the show notes. And thank you for coming on to the Best Interest Podcast. It was great chatting with you tonight. Thanks so much for having me. It was a blast. Purple gotta give you another huge shout out thank you for coming on to the best interest podcast today 
Listeners, if you want to reach out to Purple, I've included all of her links in the show notes. Check them out there. If you want to reach out to me, my email is jesse at bestinterest.blog, or you can find me on Twitter, where my username is bestinterest underscore jc. I love hearing back from you guys. Thank you for the feedback you've been giving me recently. I hope you keep it coming. If you do want to give back to the podcast, there are three easy, free options for you. Always absolutely free. First one, just subscribe to the podcast. If you like listening to it, subscribe, listen to more episodes. That's awesome. Second and third options, leave a rating or leave a review of the podcast. You know, as Ben Franklin said a couple hundred years ago, uh, an investment in knowledge pays the best interest. And we can continue to invest in one another, sharing with others that is investing in their knowledge. Thank you for listening to this episode number 36 of the Best Interest Podcast.